Hello and welcome to Hardware Intel, the in-ear edition. This is the podcast from UAP, exploring how hardware can help shape our future. We should never see a complaint if you want to call it a complaint. We, we see it as the start of improvement. From households to large-scale industrial, we're going to be discussing a wide range of topics with expert insight from within the building industry and thoughtful opinions about how hardware is advancing communities all around the world. The, the biggest challenge for the composite industry was the, the Grenfell tragedy that then did throw up major changes in the way things had to be done. I'm Cyan Astley, a TV presenter and property expert, and I'm fascinated by the impact that good hardware solutions can have on all of our lives. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the testing process and new product development at UAP and throughout the door hardware industry. Joining me are Julian Roberts, who's the Product Certification Manager at UAP, and John McLaughlin, the Technical Services Director. Welcome to Hardware Intel. Good morning. Good morning, welcome. Tell me a little bit about yourselves and what you do at UAP. John, do you want to start? Yes, John McLaughlin. I've been involved for a long time, mainly in new product development, and most of that in my career was to do with plastics. That's much a line word, but uh, they still have very good uses in medicine. I spent the last 14 years before joining UAP as an independent consultant, and that's where I first came into contact with UAP. So design development is my strength. So a, a very long history in dealing with new product development and, uh, and this industry. Yes, longer than I care to mention. <laughs> a long history means much experience. That's a good thing. And do you, do you work with Julian all the time? Are you, are you frequently in contact? Most days, yes. And Julian, explain to us what, what you do at UAP. I'm Julian Roberts. I'm the product certification manager. So that's looking after all the testing internally of new products and also to make uh, to meet the required standards and regulatory uh, requirements of each product, but also involved in the testing of external companies' products to ensure that they meet the current standards with or without uh, the inclusion of the UAP products within that also. And you work from home normally, do you, Julian? Um, how's this how's this affected you? Are you normally at the UAP headquarters? Or? Uh, no, I, we had an office in the West Midlands, but currently I'm working from home. And then as and when necessary, I go up to, to the UAP offices to do the testing or to liaise with John or other people there also. So you're doing this remotely or remotely at the moment. And things are still continuing, are they? All the, the product testing is still continuing at the minute? Uh, yes, just but we've added... Yeah, you know, COVID protocols if you have to go and visit people or, you know, but a lot of it is still carrying on because the industry, you know, they are still able to work in people's homes and people still do want new products, you know, despite the difficulties that we may encounter at the moment. Absolutely. Well, I've got lots of questions for you and they're coming up very shortly. So, John, my first question to you is what are the first steps in developing a product? Well, every creative process, including the design, must have a starting point. Historically, with a painter, it would be a blank canvas. Designers, historically, would also start off first with an idea and then a pencil, sketch ideas out. But they're obviously needing to work to a brief, so the brief is really the starting point. And once you have all decided that this product is designed and it's going ahead, is the next stage then making and testing that product? Um, 
well, after the first sketching or nowadays on computer, quite a lot of virtual testing can be done on screen by taking sections through products and trying to slide virtual test pieces through virtual letterboxes. So it is possible to get a good idea on screen usually before even getting to the point of a prototype. Um, but as soon as that seems to be going in the right direction, it's usual then to start doing physical prototypes using, for instance, 3D printing. That helps with cost, presumably, then, because when you can test things virtually, you're not wasting money making a physical product, which might fail. Exactly, and it's quicker to reject. I think that's one thing that's uh, important to point out. When I first started designing, I would spend perhaps weeks on a drawing board, literally standing up doing a, a drawing. And of course, once you've done that, you've invested so much time in that design, there's a reluctance to accept that there could be something wrong. Whereas now, with uh, computer-aided design systems, it's much easier rubbing out, so to speak, and starting at least, if not from the start, part, part way along the process. And that's partly that's partly answering my next question, which is going to be how have these steps developed over the years as technology has grown? Yeah, I mean, one term I meant to mention, I think it's a very good uh, description of the design process. I've lived in Holland for nine years, and the, the word in Dutch for a designer, vormgever, a form giver. So I suppose in Old English it would be a form monger. So producing shapes that are useful to someone. Nowadays we we can use things like 3D printing. So in terms of testing a product, how have these steps developed over the years as technology has grown in terms of testing? The testing uh, originally on products within the, the door and window industry was non-existent, perhaps an, until the inception of the Secure by Design scheme, things that were considered such as uh, energy ratings, noise reduction, that, that kind of thing wasn't really considered, especially for the domestic marketplace. Whereas now that's a cornerstone of that marketplace, especially with the inclusion of security within document queue of the building regulations. So that, that has developed on to quite a high standard. In the original days, 99 out of 100 products you tested would fail. Whereas now it's probably 90% of them will pass yeah, because of the development that has occurred over a number of years. So we've touched again on, on this question then, how much do the new regulations and this ever-changing technology actually affect the process? Um, do you have regulations that change during manufacture, during that testing process? Are they always keeping you on your toes? Well, at times, yes, the, uh, the standard will change during that time. Usually we have some advance warning of that due through the Secure by Design Test Our Studies Group meetings or through sitting on bodies such as the Door and Hardware Federation Building Hardware Committee. So you do get advance notice of that. But there are still occasions where products change. One example was perhaps the letter plate standard. At the time that was introduced, there wasn't a compliant product in the entire country. So that, that was a bit of a shock for people, shall we say. Yeah. This is something that, our, that us, me as a homeowner, never have imagined that that, that would be something that, that you'd have to test. You just think letterbox, letterbox. But actually, the security implications are huge, aren't they? And apparently... Um... That took 10 minutes to design that probe, and that one probe cost the industry a lot of time and money to be able to get through that. But the, the good side of it is those that did get through that standard, particularly that aspect of it, could then be specified 
So uh, it was a very high bar and we managed to meet and exceed it as lo- along with a few other competitors. And people don't realise, do they? The people who aren't in the industry don't realise the, the immense intricacies that go on behind the designing and the testing process. Are there any issues that can be missed during testing? and only found when once the product is actually manufactured. Have you had any incidences of that? Well, to try and avoid that sort of issue from occurring, as we've mentioned before, we're actively involved in the development of standards with bodies such as the Door and Hardware Federation, Secure by Design Test House Studies Group, along with internal and external discussions with customers, coupled with perhaps indicative testing for development purposes. That would be an integral part to that new product development which enables us to evaluate the suitability of prototype products. Once those pre-production samples have been tested, they can again be tested before production items are manufactured, and then perhaps they will be tested yet again before that product is launched onto the marketplace. Then regular audit testing of the products is conducted as part of third-party certification schemes, perhaps the most commonly known one being the BSI kite mark that people would be aware of. It all sounds very smooth. Have you ever been part of a testing process where something surprised you? Oh, having been involved in testing for many years, nothing will fail to surprise <laughs> me as to what happens. Like, like what? Uh, well, you, just you look at a product and think that hasn't got a hope when you first see it, or one that looks fantastic. It comes and everybody looks at it and goes, wow, that looks beautiful, and it just disintegrates. And of course... Um, one thing that's also developing, as well as test methods, is the ingenuity of people who want to get around security. So there is a constant stepwise battle between, let's say, the thieving industry and the security industry. So, you know, we even invited to UAP individuals who have crossed that boundary from offenders into consultants in security. So uh, we, we, we always try to anticipate, obviously with test methods, physical standards that have to be met and strength, also anticipate reasonable abuse as well. And when you have invited such people to the UAP uh, offices to look at their products, have they ever surprised you and, and sort of got into something or managed to easily bypass a security product that you thought, this will definitely get them foxed? Quite the opposite, in fact. The reason we invited him was he was he'd been on television showing how easy it was to get into low security cylinders. Without our knowledge, he showed uh, one of our um, cylinders being uh, very difficult to breach. For me as a homeowner, it's, it's great to hear, isn't it, that there's such hard work going on behind the scenes to to keep us and our homes safe. <laughs> Everybody loves a bit of jeopardy, don't they? So let's talk a little bit about the challenges within the industry. Julian, what sort of challenges do you regularly come across whilst testing products? Well, aside from the testing and development of our own product that throws up many challenges, we're also involved with the testing of other companies' entire door sets. Perhaps a slight change in product specification for cost-saving purposes, we're saying, may cause other issues. For example, if somebody decided that they wanted to change the size or the type of screw that they used within a door hinge, even though that change might seem just insignificant, it can mean the difference between success and failure. And another that's perhaps particularly pertinent to the composite door marketplace is that post the Grenfell tragedy, products used on fire doors must now meet dual certification, not only for fire, 
but also for security as well, which is a, a difficult challenge for products that may originally be designed just solely to perform a single role. So from that, I'm hearing you have to be very reactive in your in your industry, don't you? Very reactive to what's going on all the time. So constantly, are they constantly shifting sands? Within a certain extent, yes. Yeah, with perhaps the, the biggest challenge for the composite industry was the, the Grenfell tragedy that then did throw up uh, major changes in the way things had to be done and complete redesigns of products. My next question actually was going to be, what's been the most challenging testing process? Was that one of the most challenging? Uh, to a certain extent, yes. But uh, with a lot of the products that we made, minor changes to them made it so that they would comply with both because the way that they'd been designed originally. Perhaps the most challenging would have been the development of products to stop the snapping, bumping, picking, and other methods of attack around the handle and cylinder area of doors. Those methods of attack started to become more frequent. It was then necessary to completely redesign products that have been commonly used for a great number of years in many countries. To begin with, people perhaps used a cylinder guard or a security handle but then it became clear that a more secure cylinder was the preference so that things that people had originally envisaged weren't the case anymore. So no sooner had one way of been identified and resolved, another issue raised its head, which required a lot more testing and development. As perhaps John mentioned earlier, the development of letter plates, there were no products on the marketplace that met that and were compliant. So once some did become available, they weren't very aesthetically pleasing to the customers. So it was a challenge to make one that was, and we probably now have the slimmest, the two slimmest products on the marketplace, that, that the one of which very closely resembled what you would call a standard product that you would see, but with the enhanced security features. You touched on earlier, John, the feedback that you were getting from fitters and how that changed that design process. So I'm presuming that fitters and people that purchase the products often come back with feedback. How would you say that um, that is dealt with by UAP and, and the testing process? I think very uh, reactively and positively. Bear in mind that the vast majority of the lead plates are fitted in factories where doors are manufactured. So it's an industrial process rather than do-it-yourself process. So there will always be some minor and some major differences in how particular companies actually assemble doors. Just recently, we got some feedback from one particular customer, but there may be others who happened to machine the aperture in a particular way. And that has given us a challenge to make it easier for them to accommodate our new slim letter plate. So we're looking at a modification that's not a big modification for part of that internal external assembly, but it will get around their particular problem. So we should never see a complaint, if you want to call it a complaint, as a negative. We see it as the start of improvement. And as you move more into the domestic market or not just industrial fitting within factories, so do you get feedback from fitters on the jobs in households or from customers? Customers feedback once it's actually fitted. Does that track through to you or is it just that a product doesn't sell? How does that work? The majority of the product would actually be sold directly into door and hardware companies rather than being to the public. But we'd, we'd always seek feedback 
from staff and customers, perhaps before products are launched, as well as being tested. We'd always do small scale trials of product fitting, usage and evaluation before they're actually launched. It would be a usual practice to provide people with installation instructions for products and then feedback from customers, you know, whoever that might be, that's a, a vital part of the ongoing continual development process. And then a, a program in ISO of continuing product improvement. Uh, just one example, maybe we developed a child safe push to turn thumb turn cylinder, which was ideal for people perhaps with young children in a home. However, because you had to push and then turn perhaps a similar product would be at the top of a medicine bottle, although this product wasn't as hard to operate as that. Then somebody perhaps who had dexterity issues that could become slightly problematic to them. So we developed that further on so that it had a helix thumb turn, effectively pushed, but with very little force required by, by turning this, so that somebody who had those kind of issues. So that was based on, on the feedback that we received. While the one product is ideal for, for one solution, then it perhaps is not always ideal for somebody else who had mobility or arthritis or those kind of issues. So sometimes a product can go out to the market and something unexpected will come back from the feedback. That can happen. The term inclusive design um, really captures that. The handle that we sell as DDA or EA, Equalities Act compliant, not only um, makes it easier for those with mobility and disability issues, it doesn't look like um, a specially designed product for you know, those unfortunate people. It's a handle that has ease of use for just about everyone. So you don't really want to be identifying to the criminal fraternity that that, that sort of person lives in a property. You know, that, that, that's, that, that's not a nice thing to do, really. So we talked a little bit earlier about Grenfell and how testing the testing process had reacted to a catastrophe like that. And um, I guess like COVID is, is similar. It's something that is, just came out of the blue and has impacted massively because, as you say, you're having to test antibacterially or how's that how's that worked a few years ago it was mrsa that was the big topic so we already developed products with additives in in the plastic that are active for the lifetime of the product so even with cleaning you're simply exposing more active uh, silver compounds that are very effective in killing uh, bacteria and viruses we've got to be careful with claims because we have to be extremely careful that um, any tests we do uh, are against standards that are meaningful and not making spurious claims. So we're very, very mindful of testing responsibly and claiming within those uh, tests. How are UAP meeting the product development challenges for future years, um, in both with staff and technology? In terms of product development, um, we are now lucky to have other staff members to hopefully pick up some of the experience that I've picked up over the years. So I'm very actively downloading as much as I can uh, in the gradual transition into retirement, which uh, I don't envisage too soon, to be honest. Um, I still love what I'm doing. But that person in particular is very knowledgeable on digital um, um, manufacture, which 
includes 3D printing, for instance. What about you, Julian? How are you, what are your thoughts on um, how UOP are meeting that sort of challenge for future years? Well, we're, we're trying to future-proof products in that product uh, specification process with the customers, but also with the regulatory bodies so that you can see what is coming down the line. If you'd said to somebody that they would have to test a product against the Internet of Things two years ago, I don't think anybody would even have heard of that term. So that, that's, that's a, an ongoing process. So we can be ahead of the game there before, hopefully before such, such things become widely known as the, the actions of criminals that you'll extend into, into that rather than just a physical uh, way of breaking into a property. Well, after all those answers, Crikey, you two certainly do have challenges in what you do on a day-to-day -day basis, don't you? It certainly sounds like you're keeping ahead of that challenge. Thank you so much for the information you've given. It's been really interesting. Thank you, John. Thank you, Julian. So on the next episode of the Hardware Intel podcast, we're going to be talking about how we can enhance fire protection using modern technology. Thank you to today's guests again, Julian Roberts and John McLaughlin. And don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.